Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. The sermon might need a little help today, fingers crossed around some technology as we go through, but um, I, I just returned from three weeks holiday, lucky me. Uh, time to go uh, to Ontario, where I happen to be from, and to be with family and friends. When I think about vacation, there are about two things for me. One is there's uh, time to be. Vacation is time to be, to do nothing sometimes, to get bored doing nothing, to be fully present, to rest, to imagine, to daydream. My goal, number one, was to fall asleep on the rock at the lake till drool comes down my cheek. And I achieved it. The second thing about vacations, it's time to do. So I'm a doer. I'm not much of a beer. Once I'm up and about, I want to ride, walk, play tennis, doesn't matter, swim, golf. I'm a doer. I'm both a beer and a doer, and both and is indeed part, I believe, of all of our faithful journey. Esther Perel is one of the people I turn to as a psychotherapist to understand coupleship and life. And in Esther Perel's work, it's hard, she says, for her to take a break and step back. And I know this because I used, to, when, I used to do this. When people say where they went on holiday, I would say, must be nice. I don't say that anymore. I say, it must be nice. And encourage people to take the rest, take the vacation that they deserve, we all deserve. Vacation is a time of freedom. It's a time of unplugging. It's a time of imagination. It's so important. And when you look at the news in the world, you say, how could you possibly do when the world's burning and it's falling apart and everything's crumbling? How can you take a vacation? And she would say, the only way we can engage in the world, for the world, and for ourselves is to be unoccupied for a time, to daydream and be still, and to enjoy the gift of play. So we all need a vacation, whether we leave town or stay in our very backyard. It is that place and space we create for ourselves that allows us into this being and doing this both and. And so I was saying to Carolyn before the service, the worst sermon for, or toughest sermon for a preacher coming back from holiday is this day. Because it's like for three weeks, I kind of forgot about what I did for a living and suddenly, oh, I remember what I do now and see, here I am. If anybody can remember the combina- my number of a combination lock on my bike, that would be really helpful. <laughs> I've forgotten that. But we're looking, plowing through the Proverbs as we have uh, with Andrea and through the summer. And the Proverbs are, are the wisdom section of the Bible. It's uh, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the poem for everything. There's a season, a time for every matter under heaven. The Hebrew scriptures hold wisdom as a strength and a priority. And so when I was doing the research this week, I wanted to show you this four-minute video that talks about Proverbs and their essential part of our life, and in particular, Proverbs 8, which Carolyn read today. A longer reading, but a beautiful story as we we're introduced to Sophia, which is the word, Greek word for wisdom. So, cross fingers, let's hope this short video works. There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life. Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective. And it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. 
So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights, things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah. And it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And chokmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success and no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good. Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is really beautiful. But if we take a step back, some people would argue it's a little too simplistic. Because sometimes horrible things happen to really wise people, and sometimes foolish people get rewarded. It doesn't always work the way we think it should work. That's right. Which is why we need to go and listen to our next wise friend 
Ecclesiastes the critic because he's wrestled with that very problem and he's going to push us further in our journey to find the good life. Hey, you guys. Thank you. So you catch in this uh, short video of the Bible Project, which I encourage you to, because it's sound, progressive, thoughtful work about different books in the Bible. So the book of Proverbs does have these pithy little uh, fortune cookies, but it also has, as they said, this sense of understanding of wisdom being central. And wisdom is different than knowledge. I know a lot of people who are really smart, but not very wise. So it's not about intellect, but about centeredness in our heart of knowing about a certain knowing about rightness and wrongness. But what I love, two things I want to say today about this, is when you read the text that Carolyn read, you get a really clear sense, and I'll just read the beginning. God brought me forth as the first of God's work before God's deeds of all. I was formed long ago, ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. One of the very first things God does is create wisdom. And one of the things that I love about wisdom, I had a friend ask me this week, what are you going to talk about on Sunday? I said, I'm going to talk about God's wife. And they kind of looked at me, and they didn't know much about the Bible, and said, that's interesting. I said, no, I, really, I, what I love about this text is you get a sense in this text that God doesn't act alone. That God in Genesis and God in Proverbs has wisdom, Sophia, as a separate entity from God. Not part of God, but a separate entity that is feminine. And it is essential to all that God's going to do. There must be this male and this female energy at work. And so I would probably not get my Master of Divinity or other degrees I have by doing a sermon called God's Wife but it is indeed central to the text that we need to hold male and female and feminine energy to all that we do. The tragedy is that most of the time our Bible through the centuries has been mostly male, talked about by males, and the male energy is what rises above. And so you get a God who's competitive and dominant, a king, a lord, and rigid, this male energy, when clearly we are ignoring that from the very beginning and in the book of Proverbs, the feminine energy is also noted. But the scripture that talks about God as a nurturing, breastfeeding mother, or God like a mother bear who protects, or a midwife assisting a birth, tends to be the secondary energy or text that we look at. But when you hold them both together, you see this male and female energy coming together. And it's so important to take time to understand this feminine energy. One of my mentors who has died, Garth Mundell, said, we probably need to take the word God and have a moratorium for 100 years and then start over because there's so much baggage we have placed on God that is clearly not in the scripture, just like Proverbs 8 talks about the, the gift of the feminine energy in this. Of course, I have to go to Richard Rohr, who says this, that the way wisdom comes into our life is through our suffering. That when we are suffering, when we're experiencing difficulty of loss, of disease, of addiction, of struggle, it's in those places when we fall on our knees and we hand over that we come to touch the gift of wisdom. And you will know people who know what that's like and how wisdom has taught them in that moment on their knees. 
But he says that it's in that place that we must bend. And it is in our bending that we are no longer rigid and pushing away and fighting, but we surrender to our knees and on our knees, the wisdom comes, the breath comes to allow us to step forward with humility and understanding. It is all about that sense of coming to our knees, to our bending. And I love the word bending and the image of bending because bending is what we often do in creation. Whether it's bending into the water or bending to climb a hill or bending to get on a bike or bending into a garden, there's something about that actual movement when it gets us closer to the pulse of the earth that we touch into the face of God. Esther Perel would say, you've got to have vacation so you can take action, and I do believe her. And I believe in Sophia, who is an entity unto her own, and the presence of God, who together birth the wisdom we all need. But I believe it comes when we're expansive, and when we surrender, and we come into creation. And I want to show you through some pictures about what I mean. I invite you to this, the first picture. There's my toe. This was a dragonfly that landed and it sat there for a good minute. This dragonfly, as I examined its eyes and its wings, I did not move. And in that moving, I felt a connection to a dragonfly. Next picture. This is a sideways hummingbird, but it doesn't matter. I want you to see my daily ritual. When you get a chance and bird watching to stop and watch, whether it's a hummingbird or an eagle or a sparrow or a chickadee, the stomach and the stopping and watching and waiting in this gift that reminds us of our connection to the earth. The next picture. In Ontario, they're having massive rains and warm sunny days. And this year, like no other, did I notice the moss. The moss on trees and the color of the forest is such an amazing gift. When I was in Puerto Rico this past year, after a hurricane uh, a few years ago, I said to them, what was it like? They said, you know, the destruction was incredible there, but what was worse for us was when all the leaves disappeared and the earth was brown and gray. And I said, I live in brown and gray. But he said to me, it is the green that is naturally healing and nurturing. When you not stop and notice and bend and see and touch, we are connected. The next picture. Can you see the dragonfly? Can you see some of the bugs that are being fed by this beautiful gift of wild daisies? Next picture. Ritual in our evening is to go and see where the loons are. And so this is on the water. You can see the loon there. There's a male and a female and a baby this year, which is great news for our lake. 
And they're generally quiet at night, but at three in the morning, there they are calling to each other. There's no better wake up call than a loon on the water. Next picture. The shadows of the shade and the sun through trees. When you stop on your walk and you look up and see, you see how shadows of light and dark and green and yellow are nurturing gifts that cause you to stop in your tracks and pause. You may fall to your knees, you may not, but in the taking away of your breath, you are touching the Creator's wisdom. Next picture. This is 10 o'clock at night, and the moon coming up over the water. The only thing sad about this picture is the Airbnb across the lake that had 26 lights, I counted them all, on. And all you need is one, the moon. The moon and the stars at night connects us and we feel like we are part of it, though it is far from us. We are connected next. Isn't there something about a fire? The sound, the sight that we get caught in a daze and a gaze into the fire that connects us to the ancient stories of people over time, telling stories, singing songs, sharing s'mores, in all of that, the connection to the fire, one of the elements our indigenous brothers remind us is central to honor and cultivate and take care of in life. Next picture. And who doesn't say awe at a sunset or sunrise and the reflection on the water that reminds us that as a day ends for us, a new day begins somewhere else. So wisdom has the energy of quiet reverence and the attention to simplicity and the world around us. And it's in this that we connect and recreate. And wisdom, she is the one who says to us, it's not about the power, it's not about the money, it's not about all the things the world says matter. What matters is calm, quiet, knowing, and presence in God. It is in this, she says, when I was beside God like a master worker and I was there God's daily delight, rejoicing before God always, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in all of creation. It is there that we know love and know we are loved. And so it is in the being and the doing that we are recreated. Hear this poem of Mary Oliver, one you know. Eyes open or close, I invite you to these words. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down who is gazing around with her enormous, complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. 
I don't exactly know what prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day long. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Mary Oliver was a wise woman. She connected to Sophia, the wisdom goddess, who speaks wisdom and speaks with God. And she is the one that calls us to this day and this moment. May you see her in the coming days. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.